Welcome to the Virtual Velo Podcast powered by the Zimunike. We are exercise and physical therapists, performance coaches, and live stream broadcast pioneers. But most of all, we're passionate about cycling and immersed in the virtual cycling community. Our goal is to inform, inspire, and challenge you. Come take a conversational ride with us. It is good to see everybody today. Today, our cast is we have Chris, we have Joy, and we have a special guest, Michael Egan from Saris No Pens. And uh, did, did I pronounce that correctly, Michael? You did, yep. Awesome, just making sure. And uh, at first when they said Egan, I was like, wow, Egan Bernal, that's awesome, man. I can't believe you guys scored that guy. <laughs> he, was named after, he was named after me. Well, there we go. Awesome, awesome. Now we're letting people down. Uh, so let's catch up with everybody. Chris, how have you been doing? I, I hear uh, you've got some, some bad health news. Yeah, I thought I was going to be the only one uh, that didn't get COVID. And my wife uh, made me take the test, and I was so disappointed in myself. But anyway, it's <laughs> it hasn't been the uh, the smoothest road, but I'm, I'm getting over it now. It, it's amazing. Like I've written a couple articles on people that have been foolish in their return to cycling after COVID. Like one one guy that I wrote about ended up like in the hospital with uh, – with cardiac issues. Another one had like long COVID to the point where he, I couldn't ride forever because he tried to ride too soon. And it's, of course, I'm going to make the same mistakes, but um, just because that's because uh, I'm a cyclist, you know what I mean? But it's amazing. Like the first couple of rides back, my heart rate was through the roof and I was barely doing anything. And I was just, I was yeah. just saying, you know, this is, this is not right. You know? Um, yeah, that was exactly that my experience. experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, uh, I put my heart rate strap on. I haven't tested my resting heart rate in a long time. It's usually in the forties and fifties. And it was like in the upper sixties, seventies. And I was just doing some steady state stuff, you know, put it, put the trainer at 200 Watts in erg mode. And my heart rate was running way higher than normal. You know, because I could do that and compare it to other intervals that I've done in the past when I was fit. Uh, but, you know, it's been yeah. a couple of weeks. I had it over Thanksgiving and now like we're two days where it's Christmas Eve Eve and everything is pretty much back to normal. Um, put on a few pounds. But yeah, that's so it. it's it, it, it's been a good and bad week. I've got two articles published in the mainstream cycling publications this week. One in Cycling News, which was a really fun article I got to. Uh, get some input from the community, which is pretty neat. And another article on uh, the, the extremely polarizing topic of cheating in, in uh, virtual cycling. And uh, much is the case in life, you know, it, it, uh, you know it, it was good and bad, but it did open up a conversation. And, um, you know, of course, I respect everybody's opinion and everybody's right to have an opinion. And if it, uh, if it moves the conversation along, then, then that's great. So, um, but it's, uh, it's still... A work in progress. I think there might be a, another chapter to that story um, that hopefully we'll uh, we'll get out there soon. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure more will be revealed with that whole topic, and you know, maybe we'll do a podcast just completely focusing on that here soon. Um, Joy, how's how are things in Florida? Did you avoid this cold plunge that is blowing across the nation? Oh, it's going to be here tomorrow or to, okay. I think it's tonight. Tomorrow it's going to be absolutely freezing, like 24 degrees. I'm not. Yeah, going it's outside. cold for Florida. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I was doubt. in I was in your state last weekend oh. uh, down the street from you. 
Where? Uh, Cherokee. I mean, not really down the street, but. Well, yeah, three hours. <clears throat> yeah, I was in Cherokee and it was in the 20s. It was cold hiking the AT up to Clingman's Dome. Cool. And it was, it was cold. I mean, there was ice. I was confused. Didn't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> My kid yeah, especially, was like, <laughs> why are we doing this? <laughs> yeah, and if you get, because you get the natural springs that come out or like where just the water comes down the mountains and if it stays in the shadows, it never thaws out. And, and my lesson that I learned, I was the pack I was carrying, I was using a bladder with a hose and my hose froze. Uh-oh. So I wasn't able to drink any water. It was like six hours and I was, I had hand warmers and I was like trying to massage the hose to unthaw it, to drink water. Dang. And it was just so cold. I didn't want to stop moving. So I just kept going. Luckily, yeah. They make vodka, vodka, and a you little vodka. Yeah. Go out on cold days. I should have. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. I would have done that. That would have yep. been, been a pro move. It'd be a great idea. They do make a insulated, like a neoprene sleeve, which will help to some degree. And you might be able to blow through the, like back, like put some air into the hose by blowing into it after you drink out of it. I don't know if that'll work, but worth well, a try. I just, I wasn't drinking enough because I actually did get it uh, unfrozen at one point, was able to take a sip, but then didn't take a sip again for like 15, 20 minutes and it froze again. Mm. So yeah, then I was gotta... trying to use my hand warmer again, and it was just not worth it because there was ice on the trail, and I was like, I need to just focus, and so I just didn't drink. You know. Yeah. Cool. So you ready for Christmas? Sure. Cool. Good to hear. <laughs> and we have our special guest of this, Michael Egan. I've seen you a million times on Swift and, and on YouTube. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. We're in uh, South Florida, I think. Okay. Joy's in North Florida. And yeah, we've had our own issues with illness. My daughters and I got the flu twice. Um, so I'm still coming back from that. Um, yeah. Struggling just to breathe. But, you know, as you alluded to, Chris, I think that people like us tend to come back a little too early. But I think that's because mental health is important, too. And we need to ride our bikes, right? So if it means that we prolong recovery, then I think that's something that we're, we're all willing to live with. Yeah, I think you're right about that. It's uh, it's certainly something we have to do. Yeah. It's a give and take. Absolutely. I got to admit though, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see uh, how this plays out. I'm not quite sure what I'm doing here. I figured you guys have worked your way through the, the ZRL rosters and all the guys and gals. And now you're kind of, Scraping the bottom of the barrel, but nobody I appreciate else is you guys available. having me on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's not the case at all. But you are following up uh, Tepelorio, so that is a uh, a really tough <laughs> act to follow. But yeah. yeah oh, I I uh, I'd love to it. talk a little bit more about that team. <laughs> well, by all means, do you rap <laughs> by chance? I don't. You, no. Okay, because he does ghetto funk. Yeah. Yeah. We found no, out. I, t- I tell crude, suggestive jokes on on Zwift. That's 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 my skill outside of you know a high FTP. It, you were a, on point I this morning. On, you were uh, Egan. You were on point on the five hundred five ride this morning. I don't know yeah, that ride tends to bring it out of me. I, I like that ride. It's a good group. It's you know it's low pressure. It's good training. 
you know, we're going into a holiday weekend and I work weekends. I'm in real estate. I work for Pulte, so I sell homes in Southwest Florida. So it's rare for me to have a Saturday and a Sunday off. So I was in a really good mood this morning. Plus, I was looking forward to this. Like I said, this is my first podcast. So I'm excited to see, you know, where we go. That's awesome. I mean, it's interesting to me that you haven't been on any podcasts yet. I mean, you've been on one of the <laughs> longest standing, like the lineage of Saris Nopens is just about the longest standing on, on Zwift. So let's go yeah, back a I've little been... bit. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I, I was going to say, let's, let's go back a little bit first before we get into Saris Nopens and first just kind of give us a little bit of background about yourself and you were born in Alaska. I was. Yeah. So my dad worked for Atlantic Richfield. So he was in the oil business. So he was in Anchorage in the seventies when they were building the pipeline. Um, yeah. So I was born in Alaska and then we just kind of moved around the country following his uh, career development. So we moved from Alaska to New Jersey, to California, up and down the coast of California, back to Alaska. Um, and then finally, when I was uh, getting ready to start high school, we moved to Philadelphia and that was the place where when we settled in, he said, okay, you're starting. I was actually lucky enough to go to the same high school that he went to in the city, St. Joe's Prep. And he said, we're here. I'm not moving you again. And um, so that's kind of where I tell people that I'm from. I was a swimmer growing up, swam in college. I went to Lafayette College. Wasn't a great swimmer. Um, got into triathlon um, after graduating. Um, and then after triathlon. I, I fell in with a group of cyclists in Philadelphia. I was coached by Brian Walton, uh, who coached a bunch of elite cyclists, um, guys that went to the Olympics and were on the national team and uh, won U.S. Nationals time trial road racing. So I was a triathlete, but because of a strong personal relationship with Brian, he agreed to coach me. Um, and as a result, he was coaching me amongst a group of, of just really strong cyclists. Um, and one of the people that worked for Brian was Holden Camo, who was now okay. one of my teammates. Um, it's funny though, because back when we used to train together, gosh, we were both triathletes. So he was, he was doing zone three rides for three hours and I was doing zone three rides and no one knew, um, what he was capable of. In fact, when I was introduced as Zwift in, in 20, in 2019, and he said he was the U.S. national champion, I literally thought it was a joke. Um, he's like, yeah, I'm a sprinter now. And I'm like, you're a sprinter? No, you're, you're 300 watts for four hours guy. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how I was introduced to Zwift. My, my second daughter was born. Um, I didn't want to be taking time away from my kids. So I knew that Zwift was going to be uh, kind of a platform that I really enjoyed. Um, and I had a steep learning curve cause I fell in with Holden. I joined the dirt team, uh, quickly kind of developed, um, my game craft, kind of my skills within, um, the platform. And I think it was only, a by the end of that year, 2019, when Matt Gardner and Matt Brandt asked me to join indoor specialists, which is now Sarah Snowpins. So when... But going back a little bit, you started as a triathlete at what age? And you started as a swimmer before a triathlete. And how old were you then? Yeah, so I swam growing up. When we were in California, I swam for Mission Viejo. 
and then Industry Hills. Um, and then when we moved to Philadelphia, I swam for Foxcatcher. So I swam on the same campus where that whole uh, John DuPont, Dave Schultz um, sort of tragedy played out. Mm, that was horrible. Yeah. Yeah, that was my freshman year in college. So that was right after I left and I swam in the Patriot League. I was a swimmer at uh, Lafayette College. So when were you overweight? So I didn't start doing triathlons until a couple of years after I graduated. And as most swimmers who become swimmers know, you, (laughs) you, you eat five to 8,000 calories a day when you swim, you stop swimming, but you don't stop eating. So I got pretty overweight pretty quickly. And triathlon was kind of a means to, to lose the weight. A friend of mine, this was back when no one was doing Ironman, right? So this was 2000, 2001, Mm -hmm. um, this is when you could sign up for Ironman Lake Placid, mm-hmm. like the month before. Right. He showed me a video of Tim DeBoom running down the energy lab in 2002. And I said, I'm going to do that one day. And he said, no, you're not. You're fat. You're out of shape. <laughs> um, but you could see immediately the advantage that swimmers have in that sport. Um, mm. Cycling is, is all aerobic engine, right? There's no technical component at all. Um, So yeah, I was, I was motivated to do that. There was a setback because I was diagnosed with uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2004, but that just kind of refocused me um, to overcome that while still trying to train and compete. I was able to meet Lance Armstrong. um, So that part of the story was where I really kind of focused on if this is a goal that I have for myself to get to Kona. Um, you know, it's kind of now or never. I was in my, my late twenties. And Did you, um, so first, how much weight did you lose? So I was around 230 pounds at my peak and now I'm around 170. Okay. okay. And then how long did it take you to beat cancer? So that's a good question. Um, they started cutting tumors out of me when I was 12. I have a very unusual B cell lymphoma. I've had, I think seven to eight tumors removed from my arm, my groin, (coughs) my chest. It wasn't until 2004 that they officially diagnosed me with B cell lymphoma. At that point they did a surgery where they cut open my chest behind my sternum went in and removed another tumor on my thigh, on my thymus. Um, and then from there felt that because of the invasive nature of surgeries, they were no longer going to continue to cut me open. They were going to just monitor me. And that was really where my focus on health and wellness, really high performance health, because my oncologist, Eli Gladstein out of Penn said something interesting. He said, if you stay really fit, and really healthy, then you will identify the warning signs six months before a normal person would, you know, whereas a normal person may get tired when they walk up the stairs because they're out of shape. If you walk up the stairs and you get tired because you're so in shape, you'll know something's wrong. Now, the irony is I do get tired when I walk up the stairs, but um, that, that was sort of an inflection point in my life because I took that as sort of a challenge to stay hyper fit and really began 
the journey that I'm on now, um, which is just an acute focus on, on wellness and health and just making sure. And, you know, now that I've got a family, I've got a wife and two little girls, um, and I've got this illness that continues to shadow me. Um, uh, I've just tried to make it a focus of my life to, to make sure that I'm healthy because I want to be around for the next, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. It's interesting that you say that. So the, the real answer to the joyous question is that you, it's something that's ongoing. So you never really beat it. It's something that you're trying to beat every day of your life in essence. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, people in the cancer community, I think would all agree that once you overcome the illness, it becomes, you know, one of the most critically important experiences of your life. But even though it's in my rear view mirror, I can still see it. I mean, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't affect my attitude or my behavior or, or my demeanor, but it, it's a gift when you can kind of reach that moment when you're young and you're, you come face to face with your own mortality because then you spend the rest of your life not taking things for granted that you normally would when you're in your thirties and your forties. Right. So, so on that, on that vein there, um, you know, I'm a firm believer that the majority of life is, is all about perspective. And I read something that you said, and I'd love to get your um, interpretation of it. Um, they say a man has two lives. The second one begins when he realizes he only has one. That's, that's, a that's exactly, uh, yeah, that's exactly, day. that's a, that's a really great quote that distills everything I just said into one sentence. Because when you're young and you're in your twenties and you're in your thirties, when you're really at an age where you're, you're well positioned to just really appreciate life. You're not 70, you're not 80, you're not struggling to, to pick up heavy things or walk or get out of bed. But at that age, because you're so young, you, you, you tend to think that you're invincible and that you're going to live forever. So that's why cancer for people in the cancer community who experience at a young, it at a young age and they're able to overcome it, it personifies that quote exactly, which is that you, you come to terms, you're, 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 you come face to face with your own mortality. You know, when they told me that there was a tumor in my chest, there was a tumor potentially in my aorta. I had just come off of radiation treatment for the lymphoma that they found in the tumors that they'd come out, cut out of my arm. I mean, I'm 30 years old and I'm thinking, okay, this is 50, 50. They're going to cut my chest open and I'm going to die on the operating table. Now in that moment, that's what I felt because I was afraid. But once you get through that, like you, like with any challenge, um, it kind of galvanizes you. Um, and it, makes me, you know, I, I'm going to speak for myself. It, it has given me a greater appreciation, um, for everything, um, about my life. And that's reflected in how I use Zwift. I mean, I'm on one of the most hyper competitive teams on the platform with a bunch of type a alpha males who are super competitive, but you know, I, I, I take it seriously, but not too seriously. And it's because that's how I approach everything in my life, which is you want to appreciate it, but you don't want to put too much into it because you want to sort of put the appropriate amount in that, that you're able to get out of, of all experiences. Now, how often do you have to go get like rechecked? So 
I'm supposed to get a series of follow-up tests every six months, every 18 months. Um, we're going to go down a, a medical rabbit hole here um, pretty quickly if we're not careful. But I tested positive for something called paraganglioma. That's a tumor that presents itself as either a tumor that wraps around your carotid artery or appears in your stomach. So that's something I get monitored for every 18 months. And then the lymphoma, I'm supposed to get monitored every six to 18 months, but I don't. Um, I just ride my bike really hard every day and figure if I get really tired, if I lose a lot of weight or gain a lot of weight, um, something's wrong, at which point I can call my oncologist directly and say, Eli, I need to come to Pennsylvania. Something's oh, so wrong. that's, so you have to go to Pennsylvania yeah. to see your oncologist. And this is for the rest of your life. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Theoretically, I'm not going to, I'm not visiting Pennsylvania for follow-up tests as much as I think my wife would like me to. Now, do you think <laughs> that having cancer has made you a stronger athlete now? That after going through that, after going through chemo and, and that wearing down your body has now, you know, you're, you're stronger because you went through that? I don't think that, I don't think it's made me physically stronger. I think it's made me mentally stronger. I think it's given me a more broad and greater perspective and appreciation. Um, but I also think now that I'm getting older, a lot of that perspective is informed by the fact that I'm just, I'm getting older, right? Like we talked about how I was sick um, earlier this month with the flu and it affected my lungs. Every time you get sick when you're in your mid forties, Chris, you, you know this probably better than anyone. You may never come back to where you were because when you're 32, oh, you can, you can come back, but every time you get sick or, or you get a setback or an injury, like I'm still waiting for that illness or that experience or that time off the bike where, because I'm 45, I'll get back on the bike and I just won't have it anymore. And I tell the team that all the time. I tell the team that all the time. I'm like, you guys need to understand the impermanence of my position on this team. I, I could be off this team in a week. Uh, now, if I just can't do it. Do you still swim? No, I haven't done anything outdoors since April of 2019. So I don't swim. I don't run. I don't do yoga. I don't do CrossFit. You don't, and you don't bike outside at all? Not at all. Is there a, a reason? Uh, convenience, primarily. So, like I said, I don't want to take time away from my family. And because I work weekends, that's time that most people get that I don't get. Um, and so in Southwest Florida, if I wanted to ride outside, I'd be riding from 5 to 7 in the morning, um, which is pretty sketchy. I mean, in right. Naples, it's yeah. not safe to do that any time of day. Um, so most of the group rides occur between seven and eight 30 in the morning. Well, you know, that's when my daughters wake up and speaking to my experience and knowing not to take things for granted. You know, I see this all the time in my community. You're going to reach a point where your kids don't want to spend time with you in the morning and you're never, you know, I'm, I'm never going to get this time back. So the reason I ride indoors primarily is because of convenience, because I can get, you know, I said this in an interview I did, I can pursue high performance cycling 
and high performance parenting at the same time. Like I can get on my bike at five, I can be riding with Mark Cavendish or my teammates or jump into a race with people all around the world. And at seven o'clock, I'm off my bike, I'm showering, I'm making my daughter's breakfast. And there's no experience outdoors, especially in Southwest Florida, um, that would compel me to subordinate those things. Um, so that's why I stay indoors. All right. So um, it's, a, it's, it's truly inspirational. And, you know, it's, I, I really appreciate you sharing that because it's, it's, a, it's, it's a great thing for, for people to know. Like we see your avatar riding around, but no one really knows about you, right? That's one of the things about virtual cycling. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the point that you made about being stronger mentally, you know, let's face it, cycling is a very mental sport. If you're not strong mentally, then you're not going to succeed as a cyclist and certainly not as an elite cyclist. And I'd like to kind of move to a, a different topic now, because I'm sure that you probably don't love speaking about that all the time, even though it is a, a transformative part of your life. Um, Depends on the next topic. The, <laughs> you, no, no, we're, we're going to save that one for, uh, for the, for the end. Don't worry. Okay. We want people to hang We got to keep here. people. No, uh, <laughs> exactly. No, the, the, the whole history of uh, the elite racing on Zwift is something that's always intrigued me. And I've been at dirt since 2017. And I kind of, you know, paralleled that, that evolution with, uh, with you guys, like, you know, we, we, you know, we were, you know, Ken, especially Ken kicking around with Jason Stern and, you know, the whole, um, indoor specialists, the, the, the dirt dad, actually, no, the, um, not the dirt, the, uh, the morning grind Fondo races. The morning grind then, Fondo. You know, yeah. There. Yeah, those were those are cool races, and then watching you guys, you know, build up, and everybody was so proud of you and everything. And then it went to the the uh, pros closet, and then you guys changed your name. So um, maybe you can tell me a little bit about you know the you know watching the evolution of elite cycling, um, and you know because it, it almost seemed like you knew Holden um, and, and before you got into the elite cycling. So maybe you can tell me a little bit about the history and and, and the changes that you've seen there. And then, you know, we'll kind of bring us up to, uh, to now. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be, to say, Ken? yeah, this is going to be a trip down memory lane because that whole morning grind Fondo, if I, if I remember correctly, we didn't even have indoor specialists yet. It was draft. And were you riding with draft prior to that? Or you started in with dirt? No. So I, I got on the platform in April of 2019 and I was just riding around. I mean, I lasted 30 seconds in my first race as a, I think a B. Mm -hmm. um, I was riding around Watopia. I see H Como literally right up next to me. This is only like a month into my experience on Swift. He's got the national championship Jersey and I'm thinking, well, that's gotta be Holden. Um, and I pull out my phone. I hadn't seen Holden since 2014, 2013. And his number's in my phone. I'm thinking, well, I'm going to text him. Maybe this is him. I text him. It's him. And we start communicating. Um, I tell him I'm new on the platform. Um, I ask him about his jersey. He tells me he's national champion, which I think is a joke because he's not a sprinter. I mean, he's a triathlete. Um, and he starts, everybody that succeeds on this platform tells a similar story to what I'm about to tell. Like I did it for Brian Duffy. You have someone that has a really high game craft IQ is really strong on the bike and they help steepen your learning curve. So Holden immediately says, 
you've got to join dirt and you've got to race with those guys. And <clears throat> I started racing with dirt immediately. I found Sterney's uh, tutorial videos on YouTube. Oh, and yeah, I just started like, I just started geeking out. I started watching all the, and I didn't even know that Sterney, I didn't know this redheaded nerd that I was watching on YouTube <laughs> was Jason Sterney. I was like, oh, this is, this is just some dork that's obviously helping my development because everything he's saying makes sense. Um, and funny enough, it was Sterney after a dirt race that said, you could be one of the best cyclists on this platform. And I was still racing as a B. But I was attacking. I was having fun. I mean, I was just playing the game. I wasn't taking it seriously. And then I fell in with Dirt's kind of, you know, more elite riders, people like uh, Chris Wilson, Jacob Wilson, um, Tim Busick at the time. Tim Busick. Uh, That's right. Him in a while. Yeah. Just a bunch of guys that, you know, again, everybody that's on a team or a group that's relatively homogenous, whether it's me on the team now with Sarah Snowpins or the group of guys I was on before with dirt, like we're all pretty much the same, right? Um, we're all doing this for similar reasons. So we all got together. We started racing the team time trial and the team time trial was how I ended up on indoor specialist. So I viewed indoor specialist as like the New York Yankees. You know, I never viewed those guys as potential teammates. I mean, I remember one of the first races I did, Gardner attacked in London, Ryan Larson bridged, Chris Beck bridged, Holden bridged. And I was like watching a bunch of superheroes do things, do things that I didn't think I was capable of doing. Um, and as I got better, they sort of, you know, I started coming up to them a little bit, but I still was not competing at their level. Um, but what I know, well, you know, what I know in hindsight was that Holden was kind of, as I was getting better, Holden was advocating for me on the team and they were always looking to add people. So I did a team time trial. <laughs> now we're getting into some, some drama. Yes. So I did a team time trial. <laughs> I did a team time trial with dirt and indoor specialist was doing a team time trial at the same time. And there was this rider, Jeffrey Creel. Now I think you guys probably know the name. Um, and I don't think I'm going to get in trouble here because Jeffrey, Jeff has become kind of a friend of the team. He helped us when we tried to break two hours a year ago. Um, we've kind of come around on Jeff. He's come around on us. Um, but at the time, what he did was he latched on to indoor specialist team time trial. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't let them go. Like he basically sat in the pens with them. And when they took off, he went with them. And you guys have done the team time trial. You know mm -hmm. that that's a no-no. That's a no-no. Yeah. And they started just harassing him, like, get out of here. <laughs> I was close enough to their team that I was reading the chat and I thought, well, I'm going to jump on. This is a joke. This is, are we allowed to curse? This is bullshit. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Uh, so I started <laughs> in my own particular way, started to try to encourage Jeff to get out of the train as well. Um, and Matt Gardner, <laughs> I guess, really enjoyed what I was saying during the race. <laughs> <laughs> and to this day, I'm pretty sure I'm almost 100% sure that I'm not on the team because I'm talented. I'm certainly not any big name that they added. I'm not an ex pro like Mike Cumming or Dan Fleeman. 
I'm not a U.S. national, you know, um, hill climbing champion like Aaron Le- Eric Levinson. I'm, I'm like a nobody. But they added me to the team because they enjoyed all the shit that I was giving Jeffrey Creel <laughs> for not getting out of their team time trial train. So you're there for your charming personality. Well, a team yeah. needs many talents and, you know, yeah. That's true. That's your superpower. It's, Getting yeah. inside their head. You know, it's funny. I thought about that prior to coming on the podcast because I thought, do I get in people's heads? And I, I don't think so because that's not my intent. Honestly, my intent is just to have fun. If, if I'm not texting, if I'm not participating in banter um, while at the same time racing at a high level, because that's my, I mean, listen, everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. My biggest weakness is I don't know where the line is. And a lot of times I step over it, but one of my strengths is, is I feel like I'm able to kind of enhance everybody's experience because I'm able to talk, um, while racing. Now, when you talk about this line and not knowing, is this, is this the Michael Egan in real life as well? Do you, in your everyday life, do you also have trouble managing where that line is and crossing it? So that's a good question. One of the byproducts of my history is that I have no problem being honest with people. Like I tell people all the time, we're flying through space at a hundred thousand miles an hour on a rock and we're going to be dead soon. So if I need to tell someone the truth, if it benefits them, um, or if I say something that might be misinterpreted, um, then I'm, I'm probably more inclined to say it and then figure out a way to pull it back. If I'm given the opportunity to pull it back, uh, then to have not you, say it at all. Have you found yourself prior to Zwift, because we're, we're not going to talk about that just yet. Have you found yourself in trouble before by things you've said? No, no. I, I mean, listen, people don't know me on Zwift, but if anybody listening up to this point, hopefully by now, knows me a little bit better. I'm usually careful with my words. I'm usually pretty precise in what I say. People may not like what I say, um, but I'm not saying things to try to be provocative or, you know, sort You're of very intentional. offensive. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, I mean, that is one thing I've noticed. You're very intentional and, in, in, in uh, it's, it's pretty thought out. So what's... so then on the uh, on the topic of uh, being honest about things, I have a couple of questions that I've, that I've been really uh, curious about knowing. So you guys, okay. you know, quite uh, you know, quite possibly, you know, have one of the strongest, deepest teams on the platform. Um, you were invited to race in the uh, the Grand Prix, um, but you opted um, not to participate this season. Can you tell me why? Well, I think that. <laughs> Oh man, I should try text Matt Gardner <laughs> for answer that question. Here's how I'll answer that. I'll answer that question two ways. The first answer is our official statement on why we didn't race, I think says pretty clearly why we decided not to race, but now I'll give the unofficial position. And, and could you share that for people that haven't heard it? The official. Oh position? gosh. I, yeah. I'm not, it talked about, 
how as a team, you know, Chris, you mentioned depth. We're not really deep right now. And we certainly weren't deep when we, when this season of ZRL started. I mean, Ryan Larson, um, Gavin Dempster, Mike Cumming, like all of our top riders, um, sort of clarified their priorities. Um, this is just a game in a lot of ways. Yeah, we take it seriously, but Gavin got married. Holden started a, a new career. Um, so there were different things that were pulling our attention away. Um, and that was, I think, our official reason uh, why we didn't race the season of ZRL. Um, but here's the unofficial reason. Uh, ZRL is a circus and we don't want to be clowns. I think that we've seen with the recent Eddie Hool or Eddie Poole, I don't even know this guy's name, um, that our team loves racing and the community races. We love being a part of the community. We love the community experience. Um, ZRL was something that we did not get out what we put in as a team. Every time we did one of those races, we were discouraged. Um, every time um, we got beat, um, we felt some of the people that were successful in that format at that caliber were, were sketchy. Um, and I think we just decided as a team, we didn't, we didn't feel like participating in that. And people can take that whatever way they want. Some, some of the teams were disappointed. Some of the teams thought it was a cop-out. Um, but we don't care, right? Um, we Zwift for different reasons than some of those other teams. I mean, some of those other teams, you won't see them out in the community. You know, you won't see them doing 505 or doing the KISS race or, you know, interacting with the community, enhancing the community's experience every day. Um, those are some of the things that we do. Those are some of the reasons why we Zwift. That's why we love it. We don't love it because of ZRL. ZRL was a, a fun component, especially as they found their way and, and developed, you know, that elite racing. But after a few seasons, it's like we were just banging our heads against the wall and, and we didn't really feel like participating in that. So as a sponsored team on the platform, is there any obligation to increase your visibility for the sponsors? Like, you know, the, you, of course, you know, I'm sure Saris and No Pins and whatever other sponsors you have want you to do the ZRL. It's being broadcast, you know, it's the, uh, it's the flagship for the platform. You know, it, how did that decision go over with them? And is it, do you have, are you, are you, are you, you know, obligated to, you know, perform or do other things because of that relationship? Well, I think that I, I can't speak to the nature of the relationships, at least to the extent that they feel like we should represent, um, <coughs> represent those companies in, in ZRL races. Um, but I know that before we made the decision, you know, Matt Gardner, again, there, the team has its leadership hierarchy, you know, with Matt and Holden at the top. So before a decision of that magnitude was made, you know, they did reach out to Swift or uh, Saris and no pins and just to kind of get a feel for, because remember at the time, based on ZRL's arbitrary, um, threshold requirements, the H3, which is what we were all racing, wasn't even, um, you know, we weren't even compliant at that point, I think because it has a two and a half percent variance and they needed a 1%. 
Um, so with the trainers we had, we, we couldn't race anyway. So what happened as a result is Saris kind of rushed to get the H4 out. Um, while at the same time they were going through, through issues internally with their company. Um, so all these things kind of converged to just create a, you know, just to create a scenario where we just didn't think that participating was something that we wanted to do. So did that factor into it? The fact that you had so many problems with the, with the trainers, I know they were, you know, they were well-documented calibration issues no. that didn't, because the, the gals, you know, the, the, uh, the female, um, side of, uh, Sarah Snowpins had nightmares with that. And they, I, I think that in retrospect, if they had the opportunity to opt out of ZRL, they might've taken it as well. I'm, I'm of course, that's not, conf- I'm just, you know, just uh, speculating, but. I, I think that the, the, I think that we still wanted to support the women, um, because I think that as a group, they, they still wanted to race, but for us, you know, I can't race the ZRL series because you know, I'm working. So you're really talking about seven or eight guys that are able to race anyway. And of those seven or eight, they're all getting pulled in different directions. Um, you what, like I said, Ryan Larson, Matt Gardner, Matt Gardner has a, as a one-year-old, um, Holden is traveling to the middle East, you know, every six to eight weeks. So he's not even riding his bike. Um, Gavin Dempster gets married. Um, we all have different priorities. We all have jobs and responsibilities and families. And, you know, ultimately what it comes down to is that we were not getting out of those races, what we were putting in and it was burning us out. Um, and it was just, it just wasn't something we were interested in doing. And we kind of came to that decision collectively, you know, as a group, there was no one raising their hand saying, no, this is a mistake. I really want to do this as a group. We all decided, um, that it was something that we just didn't want to participate in. Yeah, when I mentioned depth, I was only, you know, I was, I was kind of alluding to uh, the world championship roster, which even with you guys not competing in the ZRL, you, you kind of, you, you've, their members of your team um, make up about 25% of the, of the elite men US team. Like you have uh, David Talbot, Brian, who else? Uh, Matt. You know, so it's, yep. it's obvious, you know, the team is, is a bunch of strong guys and, and, and elite racers on the platform. So I don't know. It's uh, it just, I guess it's kind of a, kind of a ways it's, uh, you know, it's a shame that uh, that happens, you know. Um, but moving on from that, is there, I know that Joy had mentioned something that she was really interested in was uh, hearing how you fell off your bike while, while live streaming. <laughs> Can you tell well, us that, about that? I think that's the Twitch moment. Of, uh, of the year. So anytime I take my bike off my trainer, every and you guys know how it is. You don't like to touch your bike. If you've got everything calibrated and dialed in, you don't want to mess with it. But because I live in that reason. Yeah, because I live in Southwest Florida and where I, you know, my trainer room is always 72, 74 degrees, hundred percent humidity. Um, and I sweat like Patrick Ewing. So I'm covering that thing with salt and sweat every day. So from time to time, I do have to take it off the bike and get it serviced. Um, and when I put it back on, <laughs> just, you know, I just didn't tighten the, uh, the skewer and we were doing a race. <laughs> I was, we were doing a race in the, cl- we were going up the volcano climb and I just pulled the bike right out of the trainer <laughs> and I fell, I fell over. 
I feel like we need to put a link a, to that Twitch into the uh, <laughs> into the Yeah, yeah, that's. I'm, um, I'm not ashamed to say that I've done the same thing. Actually, I I did something worse. I was still hooked into the trainer and fell over. Wow. Oh, I'm, wow. Laying, on, I'm laying on the basement. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, and I'm, I'm trust me, I'm not a powerhouse, but I did something stupid. I, I think the front of my front wheel like fell off the block, and then it was just a, a hot mess from there. But I was laying on the on the floor of my basement. My wife heard the commotion. I'm still clipped in. The uh, the flywheel is still spinning, and she comes down and goes, "Did you just crash in the basement?" <laughs> uh, yeah, I sure did. <laughs> she jumped back up and was able to like 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 barely eke onto the back of the group. But no, I I feel your pain with that, uh, literally and figuratively. I, um, I just bought so a new bike. I, I, you know, speaking of pain, um, maybe that'll bring us to uh, to the next topic, and uh, you can, uh, you know tell as much or as little as you want. But, um, you know, the, when you think about, um, I, I guess it's, you can, I don't know if you can really call it censorship because it's really not censorship, but as a, as a company, you know, Zwift has the right to monitor what you say. Um, and in, in your case, monitor what you say, even when you're not on the platform, I guess, but, um, you know, so it, it has a, it has good and bad elements. Um, Maybe you can, you know, you know what I'm alluding to. Maybe you can tell tell the details that you know what you want to tell, and then uh, we can uh, we can react off of that. Okay. So, first of all, I would agree with you. I think that Zwift, as a private company, not just has a right. I mean, they have a responsibility to moderate their platform, you know, and to moderate the chat. Um, and I don't have a problem with that at all. I agree with it. Um, the only, the only issue I have is when their terms of service is so broadly defined um, that it becomes difficult for someone like me who doesn't text in a way that would typically trigger a response. You know, I don't use vulgarity. I don't curse. I don't harass people. Um, you could argue that some of what I say is suggestive. But suggestive, suggestive language is not um, prohibited based on their terms of service. Um, and just for this part of the conversation, I actually pulled up the relevant sentence of their terms of service. Um, you cannot engage in any harassing, harassing, threatening, intimidating, predatory, or stalking conduct. Um, so I guess I can tell sort of my story from the beginning to where we are now. Um, I first started getting warnings from Zwift, um, which to me was confusing because in my mind, I was never harassing or threatening. Um, there was no predation um, and not intimidating. Um, but after a series of warnings, and again, warnings for things that to me, didn't make a lot of sense. Um, Can you give an example? Old, um, I said, hola, pendejo, to somebody. <laughs> 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 I got a warning for that. Um, we, were doing a ch we were doing a chase race, the chop, which I love. And there's a couple from Australia that I just, I really enjoy racing with, Adam Bemrose and his wife. And we were going up the leg snapper and someone said, 
it's nut up or shut up time on the leg snapper. And I said, Adam, if you're looking for your balls, they're still in Jess's purse. You know, like silly stuff like that, which in the context Dude, of a race. I said worse than that. Never got a win. Ken, that's always the reaction that I hear when I tell people what I've been warned for. And their response, knowing that they've seen and said worse, is, no, Mike, you didn't trigger any screening uh, software. You're targeted. Someone's informing mm. on you. Someone's yeah. telling Swift what you're doing. So those are two separate, but in my mind, serious problems. You either got, a, you know, service terms that are unclear, in which case no one knows where the line is. Um, or you've got community members informing on other community members. And if that's the case, we're not in Watopia, we're in North Korea. Right. So I, I received a series of warnings. I never followed up with why um, Zwift felt justified in giving me those warnings. But after a series of warnings, you reach a point where you're going to start triggering penalties. I was, I was in a race with, uh, I was in a ride with a good friend of mine, Celie Taggart. So she's one of the kind of the influential mm -hmm. members of dirt. Yeah. She's, she reads mm -hmm. a lot. She leads a lot of the dirt rides and we were just playfully chatting back and forth. And she can play a little bit, you know. I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so for the for the handful of people listening, if one of them is Matt Gardner, <laughs> I said to Seeley, or I said to the group, this was, I think, uh, the MGCC ride and race, or hang on. This was the Saturday morning hang on ride. I wrote, I don't care. I don't care what the restraining order says. Seeley Tiger's my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a total joke. You know, Seeley probably funny. said OGs or Mike, I'm rolling my eyes at you. I mean, we have this banter interaction every morning. And I and I got a notification from Zwift. Wow. You you are shadow banned for seven days. You can still use the platform, but you can't participate in the chat. No one will for see you right. Saying that to Cece. Dang. Yeah. So, and, and I can one hundred percent tell you this: CC was not offended by that. So that's that's where this story. Every one of my band, well, the third one was not interesting, but the first two bands are very interesting because Seely had um, offered to reach out to Swift on my behalf mm. and say, like, no, like I'm in on these jokes. We're, you know, we're we're just kind of banter bantering back and forth. But in my mind. I thought two things. One, a seven-day ban, not a big deal. And the second thing I felt was that even though context for that was important for me and it was important for Seeley, I felt like for the community, it was good to see that if you're going to talk like that, context for Zwift can't matter. They can't peel back. Mm, yeah, I see what you mean. You know, they can't go through an entire yeah. string of text and say, well, they're, they look like they're friendly and it's just a joke because for they have to police the entire community. And so from my perspective, it was good for the community to see that if you're going to text in that sort of suggestive and, you know, some would say sort of misogynistic way, it's good for, it was good for the community to see that people are going to get banned for that. Um, but yeah, and, that know, doesn't speak to whether or not there was, if someone in you know, someone reached out to Zwift and said, hey, look at what this guy wrote. Um, and Zwift, without any, um, you know, sort of diving into the circumstances, just responded with 
you know, in, in the punitive way that they did, you know, that's something that the whole community should, should be concerned about. Yeah, I, I agree um, with, you know, your sentiment of the whole matter and what we're seeing now just in social media in general is that content moderation is a hard problem. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not anywhere close to being solved yet. Right. So my second ban. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, let's hear that. I'll, I'll save my comment for later. Let's hear that. So I was on, uh, I was racing my bike. I was on Twitch. And there is a controversial member of the community that was in the process of cyber stalking the members of my team. He would ride with us, even though we couldn't see him, um, comment on our Strava, comment on our Twitch. And one of my, one of my teammates, JJ said, Hey, I wonder if that guy's watching you. Um, and I said some pretty vulgar disparaging things about that controversial member in my Twitch stream. Hmm. And, this and this is verbally, what, not, not, this written. was verbally not written and it was not written in Zwift. It was said by me on my stream. That person took a snippet and sent that clip to Zwift and all of our sponsors and said, look at what this guy is saying on Twitch about me and Zwift immediately 30 day ban. And that created a fallout that had to be managed by Matt Gardner and Holden because every one of our sponsors, you know, in this politically and socially charged climate, you know, they're going to, they're going to come down pretty hard. So what's the story with Egan? Who the hell is Egan? No one even knows who I am. <laughs> I'm not a high profile member of the team. I'm not the person that they're, you know, interested in, in sponsoring. I'm just a member of the team they're interested in sponsoring. But here I am as a nobody on the team, jeopardizing these important relationships. Um, relationships that were important for another, for a number of sort of different reasons. You know, none of which are worth going into here, but it was, it was more complicated than they're a sponsor. They give us equipment and Mike is, you know, a member that of the team that seems to impugning the group. Um, so they did some damage control there, but I was pretty furious that I was given a ban by saying something about someone who was engaged in, in this sort of stiger, uh, cyber stalking behavior, coupled with the fact that I felt that if different members of the community were going to inform on other members of the community, then Zwift was going to have a much bigger problem than whether or not I was saying the F word in, in the chat. Um, so I know and then that the third band was, and we'll just kind of close the loop because this, the third band was silly. Um, it was a, it was something <laughs> I used an unfortunate slur when disparaging a sponsor of one of our rival teams. As soon as I wrote it, I knew it was wrong. Um, but because I had already gotten warnings, and then a seven day ban and a 30 day ban. What I said in that moment that would have normally resulted in just a warning for me was a 60 day ban. And then to the team's credit, um, they knew immediately like Mike cannot be on this team anymore. Um, so within 24 hours, unfortunately I knew that was the right thing too, but I didn't have the courage to do it. 
you know, I, I should have said to the guys, like, this is going to reflect poorly on all of us. We had just gotten out of the 30 day ban. We had just, you know, uh, reached sort of a good moment with our sponsors. They were happy again. And now here I am saying, uh, well, Mike's going to get banned again. Um, so I knew it was the right thing to leave the team, but I just didn't have the courage to do it because I love the team. You know, I love interacting with the guys. And at the time I felt if I wasn't on the team anymore, I was never going to make my way back. Um, but because I didn't have the courage to do it, I, I made Holden and Matt kick me off the team, um, which was totally justified. Um, but it was, it was, you know, at the time, I, like I said, I didn't, I didn't think I'd ever make my way back onto the team. So what is your status now? Just while we're, while we're on that topic. Oh gosh. I mean, we were, Matt Gardner and I are really close. Um, there's not going to be a lot of daylight between us on any of these topics or subjects, certainly not in how passionate we are about, um, what it is that we do. So it was, as we were getting towards the end of that 60 days, he's like, no, the, the minute your band is over, you're back on the team. And that, that's how it played out. I mean, that, that was a year ago. Um, so, so it's been a year now. Is, is good. It's been, yeah, it's, it's been, been a year. A, okay. It feels like it hasn't been that long, but I, I guess so. Well, you know, and it I hasn't been it, a year. I think it was January, February where I was banned. I know that the term Egan has been around for a while, but I don't know when, when that, uh, how long we've been do, using that term. Do you now um, leave your microphone off and like wear mittens so you can't text while you're writing? No. <laughs> You weren't on 505 this morning. <laughs> Clearly, you need to, Ken. You need to join the 505 ride. Because... I, if you, if it, now that I know what I know about you and all this stuff, if you and I ride together, we're both going to get banned. Yeah. So because there are some people I that I need to be careful around because there are some people that, that I just are a bad can't help it. <laughs> yeah. Like I think of funny stuff, and this is oh man, this is this was less of me saying something. Um inappropriate than just like really really pissed a bunch of people off we were doing uh the datterday chase race which is like a fox and hound style like group d gets chased by c b a whatever you guys know the drill and so i'm racing in b and i i wrote oh, like i was in this race you you a oh you were in it i was like pro tip if you Absolutely. hit the a button i said pro tip if you hit the a button it'll show the distance that the A group is in front of us. And people hit the A button and it opened up their pairing screen. <laughs> Man, they were mad. We've been saying of that. Of course, I didn't, so I didn't though. fall for it. And I ended up on the podium in that race. So I no, should did be you? actually well, thanking you. Well, you have me but... to thank. That's, no, that's no. so funny. Yeah, but, uh, but no, that wasn't nice. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, so I'm going to be a buzzkill and get back to uh, the serious thing. Sure. Um, you know, the... The, the evolution of moderation on Zwift is, uh, you know, it's in the beginning, um, when we, I probably in the beginning when we all started, there was no moderation. Mm -hmm. um, and at times it was really cringeworthy. Um, but one of the really unfortunate byproducts, and, and it's still happening now, is that um, gals on the platform are being stalked. Um, it's, it's progressing to the point where it's, you know, they're, they're being harassed in real life as well. Um, 
you know, it's, it's out of hand. I've been approached by quite a few to, 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 you know, speak about exposing it, but it's such a sensitive topic. And when I ask them to tell me details and actually speak about it, they, they won't because they're mm-hmm. traumatized by the whole thing. You know, so I think, you know, like, like I'd said, when we, when we started the conversation that the, the moderation is good, you know, it can be good and bad. You know, it's, um, it, it can, it's a real problem. Like what's happening to you is one thing, right? It's, you know, it's kind of, you know, the, the situation is, is what it is, but for, 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 you know, people that are, that could potentially be victims just because of their gender on the, you know, on the platform, it's kind of, it's a, it's a serious topic, you know, and I'm not so sure it's one that's, you know, you know, it's a tough one for, for Zwift to handle as well, because it, um, it has a lot of layers to it. You know, has anything no, and I, I think that, I think that to the, you know, and I think that to the extent that, that the women on the platform, um, feel threatened or harassed, they need to tell Zwift, you know, Zwift needs to create sort of these personality passports for riders. And you guys know some, who some of these riders are. Um, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for, for moderation. And when it comes to harassment um, or bullying, especially if it's a, a man bullying a woman rider, I don't even mind if that moderation is heavy handed. Um, but I feel like that's, that's different than, you know, my experience, my experience is I, I don't bully, I don't harass, I don't use suggestive, well, sometimes I do. Um, but I'm not vulgar. My, my approach to Zwift every time I ride is to get as much enjoyment out of it as possible in a way that amplifies the enjoyment and the experience of the people that I'm riding with. And I think any group that's 100, 200, 300 people, you know, strong, you're going to have 10% that don't like my antics or that think that I text too much. Um, but I always feel like what I say and, and how I interact with the group, at least my hope, um, is that I'm enhancing everyone's experience. I'm certainly enhancing my own experience because like I said, the two components that are critical um, to my enjoyment of the platform on Swift is, is the race slash competitive component and the community uh, component, both of which, you know, I, I, I try to engage in when I use the platform. Like well, speaking, you know, speaking for myself, you know, when I get onto Zwift in the morning, I, I'm a, a smile comes on my face when I, uh, when I see you, your name come up in the chat bubble and the, I'm, you know, heading around with one of the, with the pace partners and I know I'm going to be entertained for the ride and I try to find you and stick with you, which is, uh, is also entertaining. So, you know, I, I think that you do achieve that, you know, cycling is, uh, sometimes monotonous and sometimes, you know, challenging mentally and that you do help the time go by and it's, uh, you know, it's intelligent, it's, it's cerebral, it's makes you think, but it's also fun. So, uh, you know, I don't necessarily think that, uh, there, you know, there's a line there, of course, but um, it's it's why I can I could never put it's why I could never put gloves on, like knowing what I know about what Swift is willing to do, and the steps they're willing to take to warn or ban me, yeah, doesn't inoculate me from continued engagement with other members of the community. Yeah, it's just going to take the fun factor away. Yeah, I've I've been hearing a lot more people getting emails lately 
and it's become more of a daily joke. I have not gotten one yet. Um, I mean, I usually try to, you know, keep my nose clean on Zwift, but you know, sometimes I've said some things and, you know, I, I don't even oh, you're think pretty about raunchy, it. Joy. I've heard you. <laughs> we don't ride together that much, Chris. Oh, maybe on Sundays. Oh, I, enough. Yeah, Sundays. I think we no, do on Sundays. It's, it's, it's all in good fun. And it's all adults playing together, you know what I mean? So I guess it's uh, everything's relative. But, Mike, it's been really great having you. Is there anything else that you want to that you want to say, anything that you have going on that you, that you want to uh, get out there? Uh, no, I think that um, as a team, we're looking forward to – uh, 2023. I think we're all starting to come back. Um, we're all sort of refocusing um, on training and racing. Um, 2022, I think, was kind of a down year for us. Uh, at the same time, I think our women did really well. We've got, Chris, as you said, we've got three people on the team going to Worlds to represent the USA. We may have more uh, to represent some of the international countries. Um, I just think it's important. I think that one thing I'd like to say on behalf of the team is um, I think a lot of times we can come off as, um, you know, how can I put this? We care sometimes too much about authentic performance, realistic performance. Um, and as a result, because we pursue that so passionately, we rub a lot of people the wrong way. Uh, I know that we we probably rub other elite teams the wrong way because they may feel that we're, we're looking at top performances and we're always feeling that they're sinister. Um, but it's just because as a group, you know, we're so passionate about, you know, on one hand, yes, this is a game, but it's a game that we and a lot of other people take seriously. Um, so it's never our intention to be bullies or, or to harass, um, it's just something that our team is, is passionate about, which is fairness, um, authenticity. Um, while at the same time, I think as a group, we just love the platform. We love riding our bikes in the community. You'll see us every day. You'll see us in the 505 rides. You'll see us in the 3R races. Um, that's something that we take you know, great pride in, which is of all the elite teams, I feel like we represent our team in the community with everybody else. Um, more consistently than the other teams. And that's because we love the community. Um, I just want people to know that. So before we close the door on this podcast, is the door closed on the elite level DRL premier division racing for you guys? Oh, gosh, no. No, I, <clears throat> like I said, it was just a, a series of circumstances that kind of converged um, to create a less than optimal, you know, optimal um, scenario for us to really be able to focus on ZRL racing. I mean, the type of focus that racing at that level, you know, really warrants and, and justifies. I and mean, if we can't make the serious commitment that serious races like that require, um, then it's not fair to, to the members of our team. Um, because what, what, what's going to happen, what would have happened is we would have burned out. Um, and going into 2023, I, I could see us coming back, whether it's doing the, the weekly 
ZRL, ZRL races, if we have to qualify, if that's something the team has an appetite to do. Um, we're going to start doing more team time trials. We're going to start racing more. Who knows? We may start adding new members. But I think 2023, you're going to real, you're going to see a real resurgence. Um, I think it's going to be a renaissance for our team. You're going to see all of us come back pretty strong. Awesome. Michael, this has been a real pleasure. It's good to get to know you better and uh, hear you articulate how important uh, Saracen's Wift and all of these things have been in your life. And yeah, it's been a real pleasure. And I think that's a wrap, everybody. Um, everybody have a Merry Christmas. And we will be back here in a couple of weeks. So have a great holiday season and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely.